Welcome to UCF Nightline, your source for UCF sports and former player information. Night Nation, this is Andrew Fegley coming to you from the 1148 studios and joining me, Trace Trolko. Hello, everyone. As always, this is episode number 45. It's a big one. It ends with a five, a five or a zero. Those <laughs> oh, are big ones. Here we go again. Yeah. We celebrate now in every five increments. Five or zero. Those are the big ones. All right. I so, thought you were going to say it was a big one because we had Phil Steele's joining well, of us. Of course it's big because of that. And episode 45. Yeah. I like the ones that, you know, those are milestone numbers. Zeros and fives. Speaking of Phil Steele, he uh, retweeted our tweet the other day, and it got like tons and tons of of uh, like more than thirteen thousand. Yeah, that's a lot of yeah. views on our Twitter account. Yes, it is. And we got quite a few more followers. We get followers and all that uh, all the time. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a that's tells us that there's a lot of interest with Phil Steele and his 80-something thousand followers. That's crazy. And he's coming up in just a few moments. Yep. UCF football camp gets underway on Wednesday, August 5th. UCF announced that the preseason camp practices will be closed this year. Yeah, to the public from the 5th, the beginning, to the 20th. And then they say that they are going to open up... uh, to the fans on Friday, August 21st, uh, 21st, afternoon practice before Fan Fest that evening. One practice. So why do you think that is? They have officially cited uh, the new coordinators and wanting to, um, you know, get them into the flow of things during fall camp. I wonder, I'm sure that's part of it. Yeah, I don't know. And probably a few less distractions for uh, head coach and interim athletic director, George yeah. O'Leary. I think that he's probably always wanted it that way, and now that he's the athletic director, he's like, eh, now I can close practices and I'm going to. They've been pretty good about giving access, and, you know, we've talked about this before. Not too many people actually take advantage of that opportunity to right, but those go us, down and watch, and it, yeah. it's fun to watch them. Um, those of us that do, that's kind of disappointing because that will, you know, not give us the access that we've had before and give us the, you know, the insight that we've had before on that. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, But most importantly, camp begins midweek. They're back. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. Um, Because it's, you know, it's time. It is definitely time now. That's awesome. Um, AAC media days are August 3rd and 4th in Newport, Rhode Island. Yeah. The heart of the American athletic conference, Rhode Island. Yeah. I guess. I I don't know. what. seems like a throwback to the uh, big East days well yeah i mean it's some of the same people i'm assuming so which program in the league is in rhode island oh that's right <laughs> none well maybe that's why I it's know. a it's a it's a moving uh, around put those media days somewhere neutral else. state um anyway senior defensive end thomas niles and sophomore wide receiver jordan akins will represent the knights alongside head coach and interim athletics director george O'Leary. They take the mic this week at the AAC Media Day. And we will see how he does in both. Does he have to go to two press conferences, I wonder? <laughs> or can they combine it into one for him? 
Does he, does he have an actual hat that he wears for each he one of these off things? The football cap and puts on the AD hat, or like a, a different suit that he wears when he's AD. Nah, versus... the man owns two blazers. Yeah, <laughs> at least the ones he wears publicly. Yeah. So also, there's been a few things being talked about, like injury updates, updates with Chris Williams, and I apologize. Last week, I called him a wide receiver with my bullets comment. That I got some nice feedback for. Thank you very much, guys. And a few detractors. No, there was no detractors. I detract. It was all in good fun. But I called him a wide receiver. He is actually a defensive back. Mistake there. I recant that part, that he was a wide receiver. Orlando Sentinel reporting earlier in the week that um, likely not going to see much of him this season. Uh, George O'Leary mentioning that it might go for a red shirt, a medical red shirt as he he, recovers. Yeah, I think he's gone personally, but anyway. And Taylor Oldham, I guess there's some updates on his injury and he's out for quite a while, actually. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking into October because of that ankle injury, you're starting to go in now, you know. Is that that two games in October, three games in October? Possibly a bad sprain, not an actual break, but... That's a tough injury. Yeah, that yeah. can be a, a long time recovering from Well, look at Stan Beck and his toes. I mean, you know, those are horrible injuries. You know, turf toe and all that it kept him basically out all year last year. If, you know, not being what he, what he had been in the past, I guess. And, of course, with both of those injuries, they are at two position groups where there's where a lot of upheaval and you don't need one more body down that you can't count on. Yeah, I don't know how much of a difference these guys, honestly, maybe Taylor, Taylor Oldham would have made a little bit more of a difference if, if he would have played. I'm not sure how much, though. And then Joey Grant as well. Positive with him. That, uh, that last year just, you know, all sorts of um, shoulder injuries and not a lot of playing time, and looks like he will be back. It seems like, for some reason, it seems like Joey Grant, sh- is this his, like, fifth year? or <laughs> <It's> <laughs> he's, been, he's been here a while. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just seems like we've talked about him and, and heard about him for years now. So, I guess, well, what do you think? Should we start this interview with Phil Steele now? Yeah, you know, the... Um, It's dubbed the book, The Experts Cannot Do Without. College football writer Phil Still has been churning out in-depth profiles of every college football program for some 20 years. This week, he joins us for a deep-dive look into the 2015 UCF Knights, a program he is bullish on, one he says is reloading, not rebuilding. Joining us now on the Nightline Podcast is guru of college football, the man behind the wildly successful Phil Steele's College Football Preview Magazine and website. Thanks for joining us on the UCF Nightline Podcast. Trace, Andrew, how are you guys doing this evening? We are doing absolutely awesome. What about you? I am doing just fine. You've been putting this together for like 20 years, your magazine. Uh, what got you started back in the 90s? You know, back in the 90s, I was uh, producing a football newsletter. And what I would do every spring, and or, or I should say every summer, is go out and buy all the preseason football magazines that were out there. Uh, and then I would make all my notes for each individual team based on what the magazines had in them. Uh, but what I found was they just didn't have anywhere near the amount of information that I craved. As an example, the one year Mo Elowanobi won the uh, Outland Award, and I didn't even have them in my book where I wrote down every single player that was mentioned in every single magazine, and he wasn't even on the page. So at that time, I just decided I need to start doing this myself, getting all the information myself, and uh, started compiling it back in 
and that was in 1993. And then uh, someone looked at the book in 94 and said, why don't you put that into a magazine? So in 1995, I put out the first magazine. It was 188 pages. It was black and white on newsprint. I think we printed about 60,000 of them and uh, put out that first copy, uh, the first edition of it. And each year since then, it's grown bigger. It's now all the way up to 352 pages. I think we went full color back in 2001. So it's about the 14th or 15th year we've been in full color. And now it really is the guide that all the, uh, like if you walk in a press box for college football, every single writer has it up there. If you check out uh, radio broadcasts, almost every single writer has it. It's really the, the, the book that the experts cannot do without. As a longtime reader, I've been curious for many years, how do you go out putting these previews together. When do you start and how much research is involved for you personally? Well, I have a, a staff of about 15 to 20 people that work for me. We work on nothing but football year-round, 365 days of the year. Now, I start on the magazine full bore the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Some of the team's seasons are complete at that point. And what we do during the season is we have a, a source that gets us the stories, every story that was written about a team all season long, and we compile that into one report. The report could be anywhere from 75 to maybe 250 pages, depending how many stories were written on the team that year. And uh, I go through the teams uh, day by day, whatever was written about the team each and every day throughout the season. I give myself about three to five hours to go through the team in this first write through my post-season uh, right through. And it really gives me a good flavor for the team. You could tell a quarterback that was under fire in week three that was all conference after week 12 sort of lived the entire season once again. Of course, I have a, a setup here where I have 12 TVs in front of me, so I actually watch every game that's on TV all day long on Saturday. Uh, then That's my first right through process. Then it gets to spring. And pre-spring, we get all the stuff from the school, and now there's some updates. A couple of players are gone. A couple of transfers come in. I'll go through the write-up once again with all the new information and do a second write-through on it, plus catch up on all the reading that's happened since I read about the team the first time. Once again, it's another three- to five-hour process. And then there's the post-spring, which involves watching all the spring games that are on TV, going through the recaps of all the spring games, going through all the reading from the spring day by day, and uh, then I do my third write-through on the team. So each team, and there's 128 of them, goes through a three-write-through process starting at the end of November and ending at the end of May. But I like the fact we come out so late. I, I put it out at the end of May. We were, I believe, we're the only national magazine out there that even has Everett Golson playing for Florida State. Uh, he was still a free agent back when most of the other magazines went to the press at the start of May. You mentioned 128 schools now at the upper level of college football. That's really grown in the 20 years you've been putting the publication together, putting even more pressure on you to know more about more programs. Yeah, and the, the great thing about our magazine, if you are a fan of, let's say, uh, UL Monroe or even Charlotte, who is brand new to the FBS, we give you two full pages on Charlotte, just like we give you two full pages on Oklahoma or USC. I think you'll find the other magazine. They might give you one full page, uh, maybe two on a top 25 team. But once you get out of the top 25, you're you're limited to maybe a column. Once you're down to Charlotte, you're about a half a column in the magazine with just a couple of cursory notes about the team. We give you the same exact information on Charlotte that we do on Oklahoma, USC, Alabama, the University of Florida. Two full pages, and there's every. It's like getting 128 different media guys rolled into one. With the expansion of social media, um, how has your work changed from focusing on a magazine to also having a very detailed website and an active Twitter handle as well? You know, the the Twitter's a lot of fun because uh, actually when it started. 
started. I didn't even know what Twitter was, so I had people in my office handling the Twitter account in the early stages. But uh, the last couple of years, now that I, I see how fun Twitter is to work with, I actually do all the updates myself. And uh, the Twitter handle is at PhilSteele042. That's at PhilSteele042. And usually when I post something on Twitter, you get a lot of feedback. I've got 84,000 followers, so a lot of people follow along and give you some feedback. And it really helps uh, sometimes. And you can uh, actually uncover some late-hitting news stories as they happen. Now, the website is something that I use during the season. I don't have an updated magazine during the season. So I, what I requested, uh, I believe it was about 10 years ago, I said, I want the same team pages that we put in the magazine up on the website. So I've got quick, easy reference. I don't want to have to go digging through files or anything. So I just go to philsteel.com, click on the team pages, and all the information that you find in the magazine for the previous years is updated for that season. And the great thing is I have it color-coded for me, green and red. Uh, green are good numbers. There's a certain threshold that you have to hit to get a green number, and there's red or bad numbers. Once again, a certain threshold you have to hit to get a bad number. And sometimes just by glancing at a team quickly, you could tell whether there's a deficiency running the football or whether they're great running the football based on the amount of green and red numbers that are in that particular column. And it uh, really helps to emphasize the stats that you're looking at. So the website is something I look at every day during the football season, and Twitter is something that I do update. Well, I probably tweet about 10 or 15 times per day. So let's talk a little bit about UCF football. What do you see as the offensive strengths of the uh, 2015 edition of the Knights? You know, the surprising thing when I uh, began to look at UCF this year, the first thing you look at uh, is the low returning starter numbers, just five on offense, four on defense. So I did have some question marks heading in. But I do get to talk to Coach O'Leary each year, and he has a quiet confidence about this year's team. Now, part of it probably has a little something to do with the offense. First of all, you start with the quarterback, Justin Holman. I thought Holman was going to be the starter last year. If you read my magazine, I projected Justin Holman as a starter. I was a little surprised that he did not start the opener, but this guy's got a big time arm. He is 6'4", 213. They nickname him Nolan because he throws fastballs. He's a guy that uh, can make some throws that other quarterbacks out there can't throw. And now he's got a year's experience under his belt. He almost led the uh, comeback in the opener last year against Penn State. I thought while he had an up and down year, as most first year starters do, I thought he had a good enough season hitting 57%. And I expect bigger things this year. He'll be pushed a little bit by Tyler Harris. He's a 6'4", 223 redshirt frosh, but I think it's Holman's job. Now, I talked to Coach O'Leary, he likes his running backs a lot. William Standback is a guy who did only run for 697 yards last year, but that was starting only seven games. He was uh, injured, didn't play in a couple of games, wasn't 100% other times, but he looks a little bit tougher at the point of attack this year. So I think he's going to more resemble that 2013 season when he uh, ran the ball a little bit harder than he did last year. So I'm, I'm looking for a big year out of Standback. But he's got capable backups behind him and Don Travius Wilson and Taj McGowan. A receiver, Jordan Akins looks to be the, uh, the guy that's steps in. They lose their top four receivers from last year, but Aiken looks like he may have separated himself from the, the rest of the players there at the uh, position along with Traquan Smith. He's a redshirt freshman that's going to probably come in. He looks a little bit like uh, Perryman did last year. So I think you got a six foot four Traquan Smith. you got Jordan Aiken. Two guys that have good size. Aikens is 237 pounds to go on top of his six foot three. They're going to make this a pretty good receiving court. And then there's the true frosh, uh, Tristan Payton, who steps in. Now, he wasn't there in the spring, but he's 6'1", 
185 is my number 29 rated wide receiver out of high school. I think he can step in. So as much as you look off the surface of last year's UCF team and you see the top four receivers are gone and some pretty good guys like Brashard Perriman, I like the talent that they have at receiver this year. Then you go up front, uh, probably the top two offensive linemen are Chavis Dickey and Tariq Cook at guard. And if you follow O'Leary, you know he likes to be strong inside on the running game. He's got that. He's got the three veterans back on the interior. They should be strong in there once again this year. So overall, I'm bullish on UCF's offense. I think they could, despite having just five returning starters and losing their top four receivers from last year, this group could very well be more potent. Now, most fans uh, UCF would say that the wide receiver core is the area of most concern on offense. Is that the position group that you think is perhaps the Achilles heel for the offense? You know, once again, I, I think coming in, coming in um, pre-spring, I was thinking those same thoughts. But after talking to Coach O'Leary, I like the receiving core this year. I think they're going to be pretty good. So I don't really see an Achilles heel on the offense. I've seen a lot of first-year starters step in in college football and do well. And I think the receiving core will do well. You'll be surprised at the uh, production level of Aiken, Smith, and Peyton this year. As everybody knows, George O'Leary's teams are known for standout defense. What's your read on the UCF defense for this year? Yeah. And that's that's the one thing you associate with UCF is is clearly defense. Uh, you know, look at them up front. They got some good sized playmakers. Uh, the defensive line is practically back intact this year. They lose one starter. Uh, Thomas Niles is a guy that uh, had three sacks in the spring game. Sort of dominated up front from his defensive end spot. They'll be solid in that area. Inside, they got a couple of three hundred pounders and Demetrius Anderson and Jamius Pittman. So they're solid there. Pittman could very well come into his own this year as a sophomore after getting his feet wet last year as a freshman, starting two games as a true and recording two stack, two sacks. And then Luke Adams gives you quality depth at the other defensive end spot. He's a nice guy that started 12 games last year. Not overly productive, but I, I think Adams will come into his own now in his second year as a starter. Linebacking court, uh, Shaquan Burkett is a guy that uh, had 40 tackles last year, could be an all-conference type of player this year. They do bring in a true freshman in Quentin Hampton. He's uh, 6'0", 235. He's my number 135 linebacker out of high school. He may just win one of those starting linebacker jobs. They're a little inexperienced at the linebacker, losing two guys from last year, but I still think they're a solid group. Secondary is the big concern, and and we've seen this out of UCF before. There was another year, a few years back, where they lost all four starters off of the pass defense, and uh, that unit did definitely drop. I mean, they, they went from number eight in my PDR all the way down to number 83 in my PDR. I believe it was 2010 that they had to replace the four starters. They're back. They haven't replaced the four starters again. There's probably going to be a couple of freshman starters in the secondary. Uh, at free safety, Jordan Franks figures to possibly be the best guy at the DBs, but if I have a question mark on the entire team, and we talked about the offense, we talked about the defense, my biggest question mark on the entire team is that secondary, which has to replace all four starters. So you travel a lot for work and fun. Have you ever thought about having just a little bit more insurance? TravelX gives you the peace of mind so you can take care of your family and loved ones. Click the link on our webpage. I'm just saying, accidents happen. This is UCF linebacker Quentin Hampton, and you are listening to the UCF Nightline Podcast.
Knights fans, you'll find the UCF preview section on pages 204 and 205 of Phil Still's College Football Preview Edition on sale everywhere now. More with Phil next week. Uh, He breaks down the race in the AAC and we discuss conference realignment, how he thinks UCF will fit into the expansion talk. We will tell you, two of the programs Phil says will be in contention for the AAC East are mentioned in the new USA Today coaches poll. UCF and Cincinnati both receiving one (laughs) preseason vote. I wonder who that One. one person was. They received one vote. I wonder each. who the did George O'Leary get a get a vote <laughs> as one athletic vote. director now? Does he get a well, vote? Well, he's had a vote uh, on the one poll as a coach. Yeah, so maybe he voted for us. I don't know. NFL camps have opened this week as well. We're in fact watching a little bit of live camp on the on the West Coast as we're doing this. Blake Bortles. We ask Phil Steele next week about him as well, and he'll have some stuff to say about him. He could have a big year this year because I think that they're trying to, you know, reload and rebuild around him. That's key. They've got to get the right pieces around him. Yeah. Latavius Murray, this really, really could be his year that he sets the NFL on fire. At the end of the day, though, he's still in Oakland. I know. You know, and that's not good for the career. Yeah. And they have to play my beloved Chiefs. And and how did he do? Um, Do you remember how he did in the game? Yeah, he got hurt. Against. (laughs) He got hurt. After running. For like 100 yards in four plays. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was awesome. I mean, he's he's a great football player. I I just wish that he played for somebody else besides Oakland. After he gets to this rookie uh, contract, it'll be nice to have him play for somebody else. Meanwhile, rookie wide receiver Brashad Perryman, I was reading today that he remains sidelined with a right knee injury. Said that he landed on his knee and bruised it badly during practice last week. Although the injury isn't considered major, sources said that it, it may sideline him longer than the Ravens you know, expected. That's kind of a bummer for him. And he has a good opportunity to move right into a, a key role there, so he needs as many reps as he can get, yeah, so that's they, a shame. They say that he's missed the past two days of practice. In the NFL, when you're a rookie, that's a lot. UCF men's basketball is starting to practice as well. The team's gearing up for its trip to the Bahamas. They're going there August 8th through the 13th, and they're going to take part in a trio of international games. Yes. One person that will not be making that trip, though, is um, former assistant coach Brendan Soar, the uh, now former assistant to Donnie Jones, going to Baton Rouge, Louisiana instead. He's joining LSU as an associate head coach. By the way, LSU makes a trip to Australia as part of its college exhibition games. Well, that's nice. So he traded the Bahamas for Australia. Well, yeah, that's a that's a good one because that's a, a definite trip that a lot of people don't ever get to make. That's a long trip on an airliner. That's like a 24-hour flight or some something crazy like that to get down there. But as the calendar has turned to August, football back, basketball, things are starting to heat up on the sports calendar. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, we're tomorrow, August 3rd, we will be one month away from the September 3rd game at home. I'm I'm so ready. News and notes time. AAC announced the Women's Basketball Conference parents with 11 teams in the league. The Knights will face eight of their 10 league opponents twice. The other two just once to complete the 18-game schedule. This year, UCF will travel to defending NCAA champion UConn and host East Carolina, switching the sites that they had from last year's matchups. The 2015-16 AAC Women's Basketball Championship will be played for the third straight year at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut March 4 through 7. 
One of UCF's own graced the pages of Orlando Weekly's annual Best of Issue. Women's soccer head coach Tiffany Roberts-Sadeik made the cover of the sports and recreation section as one of the magazine's royalty. The theme for this year's issue, UCF also got praise in the area's second best sports team, sandwiched between Orlando City, number one, and the Orlando Magic, number three. In other UCF women's soccer news, sophomore Kayla Adamic and recently graduated Sophie Howard were honored as W league all-conference selections. Ademic, representing the Laval Comets, was named to the Northeastern team while Howard of the Colorado Pride appeared on the Western team. In addition, newcomer Mara Ayman was named to the TopDrawerSoccer.com Spring State All-Star Team for Virginia. UCF senior softball player Mackenzie Addis and junior rower Olivia Staples earned the American Scholar-Athlete Sport Excellence Awards. These honors are given to a student-athlete in each AAC-sponsored sport based on academic credentials, athletic accolades, and accomplishments, as well as volunteer service to the community. More kudos going the way of the UCF volleyball team earned the American Volleyball Coaches Association Team Academic Award for the second consecutive year, posting a team GPA of 3.36. The Knights received the award for the fifth time in the last six seasons, with all five coming under head coach Todd Dagenet. The AAC announced its 2014-2015 all-academic teams, and UCF was one of three league schools to have more than 200 student-athletes represented. The Knights tallied a total of 218. Junior rowers Lauren Aiello and Rachel Clunder earned gold at the Row Ontario Championships in Welland, Ontario. UCF Day with the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays, that is, coming Sunday, August 9th, 1.10 p.m. First pitch, Mets at Tropicana Field in St. Pete. The $38 ticket gets you a lower-level seat and a Rays hat in UCF colors. Have you seen the hat? Yeah, I saw it. It's, it's not bad. I'm glad that it's, uh, it's not the other team's colors over there. The cows. Yeah. Maybe they did a day for farm animals and they featured them at some point. They probably did. Yeah. I, I don't really go over to that area very often to Tampa every once in a while, but I, I just try to stay on this side of, of Florida. Try to stay on this side of, you know, with the colors gold. You're and a little more comfortable around gold the black and gold. Instead of green and gold or whatever they call that over there. The mustard puke. Mustard puke. <laughs> yeah, those Gatorade <laughs> I think that's uniforms. the official color. Have you seen the? Did you see the new uniforms that they debuted on Twitter this week? SFU. Yeah. Bl- black and blue. Yeah. Bruised and beaten. Yeah, they were. All right. This has been Andrew Fagley. This has been episode number forty-five. I'm Trace Trolko. Go Knights. Our John. Black and gold, charge right.